Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This radio station is Forward Radio, WFMP-LP, Louisville. That's 106.5 FM on your radio dial. And you can find out a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org. Forwardradio.org. So we've got some great guests here for you today. We've got Samir Hasboon and Ned Measle of the Socialist Workers Party, and they're going to explain to our audience just what uh, that is and, 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 and what it all means. So, uh, Samir, welcome to our show. Thanks. Glad to be here. Ned, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. So, uh, what is the Socialist Workers Party? Uh, what does it stand for? What does it believe in? Uh, what, are, what are its main issues? Uh, well, the Socialist Workers Party uh, is a working class political party. Um, and we fight in the interests of the working class. You know, we believe the U.S. is class divided. Um, you know, there's a capitalist class that owns all the banks, you know, the media, the mines, the mills, the stores, um, and they run it, you know, a small group of ruling families run it in their interests, um, in the interest of promoting, you know, their profits. Um, and then there's the vast majority of us, those who produce the wealth, the, the working class. Um, and we believe that we need a political party that puts forward, um, you know, our interests. Um, we think the Democrats and Republicans and a lot of the other, uh, you know, parties all represent the capitalists in their various wings. Um, and we fight for a working class uh, voice and political perspective in politics. And, you know, we've been around for a long time. We trace our roots to uh, the Russian Revolution, um, but even further past that to Marx and Engels, you know, the founders of the communist movement. So one of the things that one of the main activities of the Socialist Workers Party is uh, going out in the working class communities and uh, talking to workers on their doorsteps. And uh, what we raise with them is the need to break with the Democrat and Republican parties. We think the working class needs its own party, a labor party that's based on the unions, one that doesn't just organize vote catching, but organizes us to fight year-round to improve our conditions. We don't have a Labor Party right now, but we do have the Socialist Workers Party. So, um, uh, what are your main issues that you work on on a day-to-day basis? Well, like Ned said, one of the biggest things we do is we try and go and be a part of whatever the working class is part of, you know, uh, I work at Walmart, you know, and I talk with my coworkers on the job all day long about what we face. You know, workers everywhere, you know, it's accelerated since the pandemic, but always under capitalism. You know, the bosses are trying to figure out how to squeeze more profit out of us. So we're facing speed up, which is very dangerous. You know, the bosses try and get us to cut corners on safety, and it's our life and limb that's on the line, you know. And, you know, we think the workers need to unite and use our numbers to fight back. So we look for fights by workers anywhere in the world, big or small, and, you know, say these fights deserve solidarity. One of the things we talk about a lot right now is the fight of the United Mine Workers in Alabama. In Brookwood, Alabama, um, there's a mining company, Warrior Met Coal, uh, that has, in 2016, you know, uh, forced down, uh, you know, on the miners a pretty extensive wage cut. 
you know, for most workers between six and eight dollars an hour. And, you know, now the workers are saying, you know, profits are up, you know, it, and in the newest contract negotiation are fighting for their rights. They're fighting for safety on the job, um, for overtime pay, for, you know, more than what the company offered, which was a dollar fifty. But, you know, those are some of the things we look to is say workers around the world should support this, that what these workers in Alabama are doing, these miners, is important and deserves the support of working people. Um, so those are some of the things we talk about. And organizing solidarity for the small but very important labor battles that are going on now. The miners is one. There are also still workers that are on strike against ATI industries in the uh, mostly in the southwestern Pennsylvania region. But organizing to uh, show solidarity with those struggles is the best way to begin to organize and unite the working class in whatever struggles. Uh, our struggles at work, uh, we can begin by organizing solidarity. That gives us confidence to begin to organize where we're at. So, um, you know, at one time in the United States, uh, uh, let's say the Depression, they were, um, because people were so upset about how what had happened to the country, there were various parties. Uh, there was a strong Communist Party then. There was a strong Nazi Party here in this country. So, uh, uh, and then uh, with the sort of advent of the New Deal and then World War II, uh, uh, parties faded out. Uh, and then people sort of went back to uh, the Republican-Democrat sort of uh, uh, two-party system. Uh, so uh, why do you feel that at this time in history uh, uh, um, that the philosophy that you espouse will catch hold? Uh, well, one of the things we find when we go campaigning, when we talk with other workers, you know, on their doorstep, on picket lines, as part of social protests, is an increasing openness to discussing everything's on the political table right now. And I think that's because the working class has learned over the years, you know, through our, you know, collective class experience that, you know, the capitalist parties offer no way forward but more misery, right? They have no solution except to take it off our backs, right? To, to you know, deal with their falling profit rates by squeezing us. And what we find is an increasing openness to discussing, you know, the way forward for the working class. And a lot of people, you know, of all sorts of backgrounds, you know, agree that, you know, something has to be done. And that's what we're for is discussing the way forward. And I think that's a very positive development, um, you know, that, that workers want to figure these things out and, you know, discuss what can be done about the deeper and deeper crisis we're facing. Um, you know, we, we put forward our ideas, which are well received um, in our program, which is that the working class, no one is going to defend us except ourselves. We have to organize and defend ourselves, um, you know, from what's going on to call for what we need right now in these you know, times, which is, you know, higher wages, better work conditions. Um, and, and the only way we're going to get them is by fighting, right, is by demanding and standing up for these sort of things. Um, you don't get anything if you don't, you know, fight for it. We think the history of our class shows that those things can be won. And as we, you know, even these small fights, as they get some success, it increases workers' confidence um, to fight for what we need. You know, we point to the example of the Cuban Revolution 
as an example of what workers and farmers can do when we really take power. You know, when we, you know, chart the course forward, you know, as the COVID pandemic was happening, you could see the difference in a capitalist response, right, of, you know, hoarding vaccines and the vaccine producer saying we're only going to produce them if we can be guaranteed this or that profit, and how Cuba responds, sending its doctors on international brigades all over the world on, you know, producing vaccines not for profit, but to, to distribute and try and, you know, really combat the social, you know, consequences of something like this. That's what we try and put forward, is that workers and farmers can change things, um, but we have to unite as a class um, and be clear on what we're up against. And we find a lot of workers want to talk about those things. Not everyone agrees, but it's that's what we're for, is civil discussion and debate on the way forward on any issue facing the working class. Well, it was clear in uh, 2016 that uh, a lot of people in America simply were not satisfied with the system as it currently exists. And so you had two popular, as you say, populist candidates, um, uh, Trump and Bernie Sanders. And, of course, uh, Bernie Sanders sort of normalized the word socialist. Uh, that is, uh, uh, I think a lot of the folks, uh, particularly on the, you know, MSCNBC, couldn't believe that Bernie Sanders was doing so well uh, in spite of the word uh, socialist. And, uh, um, and so... Uh, he did so well because he was talking about things that were people were interested in. They, they understood there had been some sort of, uh, you know, uh, a compact between management and labor from, say, 47 to 77, and that the compact had been broken. That is, in, you know, 1947 to 77, you know, uh, wages and productivity rose together and a lot of people felt like they were getting a piece of the pie and uh, under the capitalist system and except for a lot of Af African Americans of course are, were fighting to become part of that expanding economy uh, part of the civil rights movement of those at that of that era was fighting to be a part of that expanding economy uh, and but then uh, the elites uh, sort of destroyed that particular economy with 47 to 77 because of the, um, uh, well, uh, uh, one historian said that uh, uh, it's not that the uh, elites were satisfied with, were not satisfied with the amount of profits, but uh, uh, Cumbler, Professor Cumbler from the University of Louisville, he said, they weren't satisfied with the rate of increase in profit. So that's when they started uh, uh, and sending the jobs overseas to China and so on and so forth. So um, then you have people upset, and what do they do when they're upset? And so uh, uh, folks, uh, you heard in, in particular white people say, because I heard them say it, that they were either going to vote for uh, Trump or Sanders. Right? So it's not anecdotal. I heard them say it. So... Uh, because uh, they both had a populist message. Right. Well, uh, we, most people don't have, uh, not most people perhaps, but many people that we talk to, they have no confidence in either the Democratic or, or Republican mm -hmm. parties. These parties are in crisis. Uh, the interests of workers and the employers are completely opposed to one another. And uh, we're for, you know, reliance on the abilities of the working class to begin to discuss this, organize itself, and figure a, 
a way forward to begin to fight for what it needs. When we raise things with uh, folks on their doorsteps or on the picket line or at other actions, things like uh, the need to fight for a federally funded jobs program that pays at union scale and that can, there's plenty of work that needs to be done. There's plenty of schools, hospitals, roads, other things that need to be built. Uh, this could provide jobs for the millions that still are unemployed after the pandemic. Uh, we raised the idea that um, we should shorten the work week with no cut in pay. That amounts to a pay raise uh, to spread the available work around. We raised things like for amnesty for immigrant workers in the United States so that we can unite and organize across. The capitalists are very good at turning every difference that exists among working people into a division. We need to break down those divisions and begin to organize and unite and discuss together what we can do to, uh, to, to advance our conditions. Regardless of what the capitalists say is possible, we have to start with what the working class needs. And we find a great deal of receptivity to a discussion like that. One thing is we don't rely on, not only don't we think that workers should rely on Democrats or Republicans, we, shouldn't, we don't need to rely on the capitalist state, on the government that the capitalists control. We don't have any confidence that big government is the solution to anything. Uh, that's where we differ from the socialists that work inside the Democratic Party. We don't think there's some perfect piece of legislation that can make capitalism livable for the majority of us. We're for changing the system and having the working class take the political power from the capitalist class. Well, I just want to say one thing. You mentioned the 2016 elections, and we run into um, a lot of different political currents that put forward the argument that the election of Donald Trump, you know, and what occurred in politics in 2016 indicated an increase in racism among the working class. And we strongly say that is not the case, that the working class is actually less racist in the U.S. than it's ever been, you know, in, in the history because of the struggles of, um, you know, many, but specifically led by the black proletariat, um, you know, what Malcolm X, you know, was a big part of. We think that the, the real working class movement in the 60s and 70s uh, that fought back against Jim Crow era segregation, you know, that stood on, you know, the shoulders of the work done beforehand, you know, dealt some real blows, you know, against racism within this country. And that you're still seeing the fruits of that today. You know, if you look at the uh, uh, the George Floyd protests, and you know, and the stuff around Breonna Taylor and things like that, the initial reaction, right? The, we were going to protest all over the country, and, and you know, our candidates for the Socialist Workers Party were going to these protests and talking with people, and you know, we went to the one here in Radcliffe, you know, and you just find at these things an overwhelming number of workers who were opposed to what the police did, right? And you start reading about these things. They're happening in majority Caucasian towns all through the U.S. That would have been inconceivable, you know, 30, 40 years ago. You know, you had, you know, segregated busing in Louisville, you know, not too long ago. And it just shows the real progress that has been made in this. And, you know, you've got these different liberals that come out and say, you know, instead, you know, the 
that racism is on the rise, right? And white supremacy is the real threat to be combated. And, you know, we do not agree with that political perspective. And, you know, you saw the initial protests, which I think were very good, mass everywhere, you know, led by the families, really focused on, you know, prosecuting the cops, um, calling for charges. And then, and, and lots of working people wanted to come out. A lot of my coworkers at Walmart, you know, wanted to go with me. Some of them came with me, you know, and participated in them. And then over the course of time, you had what I would describe as a petty bourgeois radical leadership, um, you know, elements of Antifa, elements of, you know, people who call themselves leaders of Black Lives Matter, encouraging and organizing things towards violence, towards looting, which, which really set back the protests, right? Working people stopped coming out when you start showing up and people are carrying assault rifles at the protest, when, you know, the slogans are, you know, they loot us, we loot back. That's when I think the fight against police brutality you know, and against, you know, capitalism really got weakened because working people don't want to be a part of a movement that's built on resentment. You have to build a movement that's built on justice, um, you know. And so I think that what we say about the 2016 election, you know, and is important and to say, no, the working class is not more racist, um, that, that, that the opposite is actually the case. Well, I don't know that Black Lives Matter here in Louisville ever advocated violence at all. I don't know that. But uh, uh, as far as Antifa, um, here in Louisville, I don't know that uh, it played a significant role. Uh, so uh, uh, what next, though? What next? Well, there's a couple things. Um, I mean, historical, when you look at the historical timeline, so you had... Uh, what some people might call a right-wing populist president here in this country. Some people might call that. And uh, a lot of people do think that uh, Trumpism uh, and white supremacy are, are hand in hand. And of course, a lot of people do think that uh, white supremacy is on the rise here in, the in this country, whether it's among workers or whoever it's among. It's, it's, it's on the rise among someone, someone somebody. Because somebody was carrying tiki torches in Charlottesville, right? Charlottesville, So somebody was carrying. So uh, they certainly didn't believe in black equality, so our equality for all people. And we do see, uh, you know, Asian Americans singled out and being attacked on the street. Unfortunately, since some of the per perpetrators are Af African American, and as well as white. Uh, so we do see uh, anti-Semitic uh, actions here in the country. So we do see, uh, you know, acts of violence uh, 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 perpetrated against blacks because of their race. We do see that. Uh, we do see a Sikhs uh, being shot because of their race. We do see that. Uh, we do see uh, synagogues being attacked. So we do see that. So... Uh, uh, whether the, you know whether it's attributed to what class, uh, uh, but we do see that. So uh, is that uh, the the is is a racial analysis a missing link in the social workers socialist workers party? No, I don't think so at all. Uh, I mean, one of the we, we publish a lot of books through Pathfinder Press, and one of the 
you know, top-selling titles is Malcolm X, Black Liberation, and The Road to Workers' Power, which is not, it's a book about the last political year of Malcolm X's life, but it's also about, you know, the dictatorship of capital, and what's the road to ultimately ending a lot of the horrors you described that capitalism produces, right? The system that produces all of those things is capitalism. What's the road to actually dealing a death blow to those, you know, horrors of humanity and, and ending these sort of things once and for all, right? What's the road to ending police brutality once and for all? What's the road, um, you know, to ending racism and all these things which, you know, we argue, you know, like women's oppression and all these things grow out of a class-based system where human one group of human beings exploits another um, for profit. Um, you know, and we think the, the way forward, the only way that can really be ended once and for all is for workers and farmers, you know, the oppressed class within this country to rise up and take political power, take state power out of the hands of the capitalists and take it ourselves and use it to, to chart a course forward. Right. It's why we talk about the Cuban example so often what they were able to do, what workers and farmers were able to do there. You know, one of the big things after the revolution, they did several things that really advanced the abilities of workers and farmers to take on these things, is they, they did a literacy campaign, right? They said, if we're really going to eradicate these sort of things, people have to be able to participate in a movement like this. So they organized hundreds of thousands of volunteers, mostly young people from the city, to go out into the countryside and teach the peasants, you know, many of them farmers, how to read and write, who before were having to sign, you know, documents with a thumbprint or a cross. And... You know, Fidel Castro, one of the, you know, foremost leaders of the Cuban Revolution, made a very good point when talking to these volunteers. He said, when you go to the countryside, you're going to learn more than you teach. Now, this campaign was very successful. They practically eradicated, you know, illiteracy within one year. Um, and But really what this enabled, what this allowed for was to bring the mass numbers of workers into this revolutionary movement. Afterwards, you know, under the U.S. in Cuba, you had Jim Crow era segregation. The beaches were segregated, right? At the dances in towns on Saturday, they would have a velvet rope separating the blacks from the whites. They went through and cut that down. I think that's the kind of movement we need with that kind of strength to really take on, you know, a lot of what you raised, um, you know, before. And I think the anti-Semitism one is, we, is one we've particularly been talking about because of its particularly unique history in the persecution and discrimination against uh, Jews. It came up a lot around uh, Palestine and Israel, right? There was, you know, a big conflict that broke out there between, you know, the reactionary Hamas government and the capitalist um, Israeli government that was devastating for working people on both sides. And we go to these protests, we talk with our coworkers, and we say, what's the way forward, right? That's always what our eyes as a party are on, is what's the way forward for working people? Um, we think that Palestinians and Israelis, the working class, have common class interests and a common class enemy. And if enough political space is given to them, they'll arrive you know, at the same conclusions that we believe the U.S. working class will arrive at. But we need political space to do that. That's why what we call for is for, you know, a, the recognition of Israel and calling for a contiguous, sovereign, and independent Palestinian state, that that would allow some political space for workers to figure out these sort of things. And it was a long answer to the question, but I think that, no, that the, the, the Socialist Workers' Party and a, and a working-class perspective is the only way to end these things like racism once and for all. Well, here in Louisville, a lot of people think that one of the best things about the, the Breonna Taylor uh, protest was the fact that uh, people of all colors took part in it. Absolutely. And then, you know, I never saw uh, uh, sort of you know, bourgeois white people take over Six and Jefferson. I never saw that. 
uh, you know, I was there, and uh, people thought it was. Uh, most of the people I, I, I associated with thought it was one of the best things about uh, that whole uh, episode in Louisville history was, you know, white folks and people of all races and colors sort of coming together to build a community at Six and uh, Jefferson. So, uh, and so with the. But again, with the absence of a racial analysis that is in this country in particular, um, uh, you know, and they called slavery the peculiar institution, but uh, uh, also American racism is sort of unique in its, uh, uh, that is, uh, uh, that is, in this country it's possible for, uh, you know, uh, uh, black people to be shot for no other reason than essentially being black, being black while walking, being black while driving, being black while jogging. Uh, and so uh, without uh, a racial analysis, which is tough, because uh, it's such a hard nut to crack here in this country. Uh, so I don't I see how the, your political philosophy succeeds with, without it. Right. We, what we have is a class analysis and a very long, proud history of fighting racism in the United States and working to unite the working class. You know, when we go out and talk to, uh, to people, to workers in their communities and at actions, uh, we find receptivity among people that voted for Trump, people that voted for Biden, people that voted for Clinton, and the many, many, many people that didn't vote because they didn't see anything to vote for. You know, I, I think the early days, uh, the initial responses that we saw uh, in, I mean, I've read that in over 2,000 cities in the United States, there were demonstrations uh, against the killing of uh, George Floyd in places like Harlan and Hazard, places that maybe never saw a black rights protest in before, shows the, the progress that's been made as a result of the accomplishments of what we normally call the civil rights movement or the black power movement in this country in changing the hearts and minds of the vast majority, changing history. And uh, we stand on the shoulders of that. In the early I think it was last uh, June, early June, there was a demonstration in Houston uh, demanding prosecution of the police that killed uh, George Floyd of 60,000 people. People that I know were there said this, it looked like Houston. It was, you know, Caucasian, it was African-American, it was Latino, it was Mexican. Uh, it showed the potential. You could have had, I think, demonstrations like that here in Kentucky. Uh, here in Louisville or at Frankfurt. Uh, but you have to look broadly. You have to be inclusive. You have to have confidence that working people, and, and that you see that today working people in all their colors can be united in a fight to demand justice for George Floyd, the prosecution of the police, an end to racist practices. This is all possible today. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, I think there is a crisis of leadership in the movement today. 
Well, uh, folks, uh, we're here with uh, Samir Hasboon and, and Ned Measle of the Socialist Workers Party, and they're explaining their philosophy. And uh, in the time we've got left, do you have have an event uh, coming up where you, so people can meet you and uh, listen to your ideas? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we actually, you know, we publish a newspaper called The Militant. Uh, it's been around for a long time, and it's a workers' newspaper published in the interest of the working class that takes on all sorts of things, uh, you know, that workers need to be discussing that are, you know, our class faces. Um, and so we do a event series, uh, the Militant Labor Forum series here in Louisville um, and across the country and around the world. Uh, every week uh, here we do it on uh, Fridays. Uh, this week, Friday, June 4th, um, at 7 p.m., we're having an event on defending the right of workers behind bars to read. Uh, we want to fight to overturn the ban of the militant by an Indiana prison. Give us the location. Uh, and that is at 1939 Goldsmith Lane um, in Suite 134. Um, you can also email uh, militantlaborforumlouisville at gmail.com. That's all spelled out. No punctuation marks. Or give us a call at 502 502- 882-1041 and we'll be doing one as well next week reporting on the fight of the miners you know across the country and specifically in Alabama um, Friday June 11th um, again reception starts at 6:30 p.m. program starts at 7 um, and 193